0: Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses... The with reality of that
1: eight-show-a-week slog is really hard. When I start on a character, I have to draw them and I'm I'm not an artist. This is an effect built in myth and mystery. So you'd be sitting in this tiny little bio box
0: with radiators all around you. Which was a funny thing because I don't think that play would have happened in that way if it wasn't at Griffin.
1: You're a bit different to the other girls in this area. Yes. I thought, yes, I am.
0: That was the days when they could smell an actor or an, a singer and think, oh, I've got six weeks. My sisters really taught me that, that I had to be versatile. This ostrich, pink ostrich feather sticking up out of my hair, <laughs> out
1: of this week. My first career, as it were, was preparation for my second career. And her face was beaming. It was just I haven't lost any of my passion or love for it. So it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you very much.
0: With nearly 30 years experience and nominations for his work as both a performer and choreographer, Nathan M. Wright is a driving force in the performance industry. After 14 successful years as a performer, Nathan began his transition into choreography and direction in 2006. He has since made a name for himself as a highly acclaimed and sought-after artistic director and choreographer, with an impressive portfolio that highlights the scope of his skill set. Showcasing experience in theatre, large-scale events, film and television, a few of his career high points include Head of Choreography and Staging Director for the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games, Artistic Director for both opening and closing ceremonies of the fourth Islamic Solidarity Games, Director of Mass Choreography for the 2014 Winter Olympics, the 40th anniversary of Richard O'Brien's Rocky Horror Show, High Society at the prestigious Old Vic in London's West End and choreographing for the BBC's Strictly Come Dancing. They are vast, varied and impressive credits in a career that continues to thrill audience and performers alike, indicating that there is so much more stellar creation and triumphant accolade ahead for Nathan M. Wright, I could in jingles. Isn't that terrible? But that's all right. They'll we know should... who it is straight away. No, we should. We should acknowledge that it, it is a Saturday evening. I think we absolutely should. We should. Um... And we're having a, a G&T.
1: Well, yeah, it's Saturday in Sydney, and I've been away for a month. So.
0: And also, you've, you've just landed after a uh, tumultuous time getting out of Adelaide, and.
1: Yeah. I just uh, delays. I don't know why they bother me so much. Because,
0: I mean, your whole life is about um, meetings and, and and starting rehearsal on time, and and and, and my is, life is about really cool. school bells and, yeah. and starting <laughs> and stopping and all that sort of thing. But so when your plane doesn't head off uh, on the time that it was supposed to, well, so I understand
1: there are problems, but it's when they don't get on and say we're really sorry about the delay. You're like just then they're like okay time to board, and I'm like what. Um, but mo- I just saw the New Virgin ad and they basically say if you've got something really important on maybe book basically you need to, just basically if you ever need to go anywhere in time don't book with us book two days before if you need to, basically saying they, don't, they can't guarantee it anymore so if you've got something that's really important that you need to go to you should think about that when you book your travel and but, I was like but not everyone can do that
0: but surely not because there's, there's still a big backlog or anything. They can't,
1: I, I, think, I think we can't the use the COVID excuse anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there was a pilot sitting next to me on the plane and he was laughing when we took off. And he said, well, I'm meant to be flying a plane in one hour to Brisbane. And I went, I don't think that's happening. He said, I don't think so either. So that plane had to wait for him to get there.
0: And, and so the domino effect begins.
1: Correct. And that was only the second flight of the day. Right. So I, and he was just on his iPad the whole time looking at all the flight routes and I was just, I was kind of being quite nosy yeah. and just looking at him what he was. He was Why like, not? oh, I can tell you when we're coming in late. I was like, great. Like it was amazing.
0: Imagine if that happened in showbiz. Could you imagine? you get the audience in <laughs> and uh, 7.30 start and we get to...
1: That's what I yeah. think. I think I've got an open class next week. Well, I might turn up two hours late, but I won't say anything and yeah. we'll just do the class. Yeah.
0: I think it's because
1: the way we're driven, I suppose, it's all about... Well, for me, it's all about timing. In life. It's all in the timing. It's all in the timing.
0: Nathan M. Wright. What's M stand for?
1: Mark. Mark. And the reason people say, why Nathan M. Wright? Why can't you just be Nathan Wright? And that's a very good question. Um, There is a footballer called Nathan Wright, and I'm sure... It's I'm sure no distinguish I'm, the two. And because we're so similar <laughs> and we're so similar in our fields, I I thought, well, I don't want to be Nathan Mark Wright, but I thought well, Nathan Emright is I like that. So I kinda of had to commit to it now. And it's now it's what it is. So I feel like I'm Nathan Wright. I'm not at work and I'm Nathan M. Wright when I go to work. <laughs> um but yeah, M is for Mark. Yeah, great.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's good. Everyone needs a stage name, a professional well, yeah, name. Yeah, something theatrical. Yeah, it's great. Um, well, Nathan Emery, I, mm. I I have to tell you, the first time I laid eyes on you was in the Australian production of a mu- new musical, "Shout," the story of Johnny O'Keefe, and you were this uh, ball of energy that came out. I mean, you were, you were captivating. You, I oh, mean, you so were just—I couldn't take my eyes off you because you were just so into it.
1: I was so into it. Yeah, I. It was. It was because I think I remember that moment so clearly. Uh, I did a musical when I was 12. um, When I lived in Brisbane, I was in The King and I with Hayley Mills. And then after that, you finish high school and you kind of then you go into adulthood. And all I wanted just was one musical. I said, if I just got one, everything after that, I will be forever grateful for. And I remember I was on, I was in front of Broadway Shopping Centre and my agent, PJ Clark at the time, called me and said you've just been cast in Shout and I remember the emotion like I was so emotional and I was so elated and I was so excited and and at that time which I obviously didn't know it was one of Ross Collins' last musicals it was one of Richard Werritt's final musicals yeah. so to be and I rehearsed it Betty Pounder like it was I just scraped in on being on that part of I suppose the geography of the industry I suppose I just
0: like Kevin Jacobson too was probably he one was of the, the last producer. shows that he produced yes it yeah.
1: was yeah with his brother, Cole Joy. Um, And I remember going through the rehearsal period and just being so eternally grateful just to even be in the room. And Ross Coleman was, he was a genius. And to witness that and to be a part of that was extraordinary. And he, we got on really, really well. He loved the way I, I suppose, I performed his choreography and it was just a joy and that music was incredible and I loved it because my parents were so connected to that time frame because of Johnny O'Keefe and, and to be part of your first musical as an adult, to be an original Australian musical, is really is rare now. Yeah. Um, but that's really, really kind and I absolutely had the most amazing time on that show.
0: You made it look so easy. Is it? It's not, is
1: it? it oh, look, I think the problem is, I can't believe I'm going to confess my real age... I really, I'm really, i actually 44, even though I tell everyone I'm 37. Um, I just get more work done to make myself look younger. But the body, the body, you can't stop aging. So even when I demonstrate now, I still feel like I'm that 20-year-old. But let me tell you an hour after, I don't feel like that 20-year-old. I am in pain. But I don't know. There's something about I still love that I can get up and demonstrate, that I can still execute, that I can... Still be what I still, I'm still able to do what I do, and that time will eventually come where I won't be able to. And
0: that's when you get an assistant to, <clears throat> oh look, I to have, demonstrate your work.
1: I have assistants now, and they're all incredible. And but I still love to execute everything and still demonstrate the way I like it to be done. But I have like I've had incredible assistants and associates, and I've been really blessed. Um, but that really means a lot to me that you said that. That's really lovely Chris. Not many people really think about me as a performer, I suppose anymore. Um, and this generation don't know that I was uh-huh. I performed for many years before yeah. I I transitioned into choreography. Yeah. 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 Uh,
0: um, it, it is a um, well, it's it's that X factor. It's because um, you're a beat. You're also in that, mm-hmm. weren't you? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And you just you just popped. Yeah. yeah. I don't know because uh, you you. you you were distinguished from the other ensemble members, I think, because.
1: Oh, so short? Short. <laughs> short of stature,
0: but also like a light bulb. You shone constantly.
1: Again, that's, this has been the best day ever. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There's just. People say to me, do you miss performing? And I say, no. If I could do the rehearsal period and do the previews and opening night and then stop, I would continue to perform but i also know the discipline and how hard it is and what it takes to do eight shows a week um and i think by the time i stopped doing shows i realized i was at that point where well i can continue hopefully auditioning and getting into musicals which would be amazing but i do miss that element of it i do miss those moments where you get to kind of sparkle for a moment because i did love being on stage i just adored it it was incredible and I had the best time every time on every show I did and but there was always something inside of me that was always wanting to always create to be on the other side to be a part of that process to create and watch people bring your work to life I think has always been the dream.
0: And for those novice performers who are just starting out I mean, it's important that they realise because or that they're told that in that audience, is somebody that always has their gaze on you. Always. You've got to be turned on all the time. Always. And, um, you know, They're not really aware until they're told. My, my kid's at school, I'm telling them. Someone's going to be watching you all the time always. when you're on, 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 the, on the stage. And it doesn't Don't matter if
1: it's a full house with 2,000 yeah. people or if it's a really low house and there's 300 people in there. You just never know who's out there. But I think for me, uh, it was always... It was always a form of gratitude. I felt honoured to be in a musical. I felt honoured that I got chosen. I felt honoured that I got to do it eight times a week. I, it was a real privilege to be in a musical, and I think it still is. Oh, you absolutely. Know, you know, it's a privilege. Eight shows a week is hard, but that's the discipline. And, yeah, I think in shout the show ran for a year. I think I missed three shows in a year because I never wanted to go off. No. It was just like you just want to be there. You want to be, you want to be in the building.
0: Do you think that culture has changed a little bit now? That that um, I hear stories of, of ensembles where where time is taken off regularly by by particular performers.
1: Look, I suppose I've been in London for so long um, and I've only just kind of come back in the past couple of years during COVID and I've just had Rocky Horror reopen in Australia for the 50th anniversary. And I have to say the ensemble in our show are, are extremely ordinary they are so gifted and they're so talented and I don't think one of them has been off yet like there maybe one or two but it's been because they have been absolutely on death store but what's really inspired me and encouraged me coming back and doing another show in Australia is the discipline of these people and I'm really blown away by it because I want people to come and see all these people on um, because we chose them and I want them to be seen by the audience. Yep. Uh, We have an onstage swing who is phenomenal. And we also have an offstage swing who is equally as brilliant. So for them, whenever they go on, it's always a joy. It's not, oh God, they're going, it's always a joy because they're so good. Um, But look, yes, have I heard stories? Sure. Um, But it, it was different when I was younger. It was more, it was like, basically, unless you're in a hospital on a drip, you're at work. It was just kind of, it was just... And I don't know if that's the right thing or the wrong thing, but that's kind of the era that I grew up in. Yeah. And I'm really quite pleased I grew up in that discipline. I don't know what I would be like now. Coming through the industry where it is now, I, I, don't, know, I don't know if I would fit in as well. Yeah. I yeah. quite like the, the process that I went through. I do miss some of that sometimes. Yeah, I do. Rocky Horror
0: Show. Yeah. Where was it? When was the first time you saw it? And it may have been as the film. No,
1: it was the film. The film was the first time I saw it. It wasn't the first musical I ever saw it. I don't think my parents would take me. But, I remember <laughs> but as a film, I
0: remember seeing the film at 17 or something. Yeah, I was about the
1: same age. I was about what, the, same age. This, was about was the same age. Exciting and sexy and naughty. and It was all of those things. But I think for me, it was such a full circle moment. To watch this film, but when, as a young, I suppose, I knew I knew my sexuality, I think, from the moment I could walk. But I think for a young 15, 16-year-old, to actually see something captured on film which celebrated um, individuality, it was incredible. And when Frank sings, you know, Don't Dream It Be It, it as that young, confused boy at that time, it was that moment of going, well... Oh, I used to put my mum's high heels on when I was, they would go out of the house and I would dance around the house and so to see someone then represent that on film... And I would, tell you it's okay. Uh, to tell you it's yeah. totally okay. Yeah. It's totally okay to be who you want to be and so, uh, so then to come back all these years later and be involved with so many productions over the years, it's, it, again, it's like what you said with Shout and with Eurobeat, I don't take it lightly and... Some of the cast said to me this time, how do you sit there and watch the show with the same passion and energy? It's like you've never seen it before. And I said, because I'm so grateful. That I said, a show like Rocky Horror is like a Mamma Mia. It's one of these shows that comes along very rarely mm. for a creative where, and the time will come where I won't do it, and I know that. But for the last 11 years, it has taken me... To places that I didn't know it would take me. And it's been filmed multiple times. It's been in the West End. It's still on its UK tour. It's nearly going to its third year. And another year has just been extended. It's, it, it just blows my mind. So for me, I am forever grateful for the Rocky Horror Show.
0: Was that the gateway show to choreography for you?
1: What is bizarre is, I knew I wanted to be a choreographer. And I remember I wrote to three choreographers that I really admired. And I sent them an email, one was Ross Coleman, uh, one was John O'Connell, and one was Andrew Right. And I emailed them all, we're talking 2007 maybe, and I just sent to the three of them, I want to be a choreographer, what do I need to do? I will get your coffee, I will clean your shoes, I will do anything, I just want to be in the room. And the thing is, the three of them all went back. All so generous with their time and their words. Because I'd worked with Andy a few times, we did shout together. And then he choreographed Yuri um, And then John O'Connell wrote Who I Did Moulin Rouge for as a dancer. And Cha Cha said, Actually, I've got these auditions. Gail Edwards is doing a new production of The Rocky Horror Show in 2008, starring Iota, Tamsin Carroll, and Paul Capsis. And he said, Could you come in and assist with the auditions? I said of course I was beside myself I was so nervous though that one section of the choreography that he wanted half time I taught at double the speed because I was just so wanting to impress yeah. I just nerves got the better of me and he was so generous about it he went you know that's meant to be slower I said oh my god I'm so sorry I, guess I don't worry about it and so that kind of then really opened up my relationship with Cha Cha and starting to assist him but Rocky Horror was the first show that I became an associate choreographer and that was the Gail Edwards production with Cha-Cha at that time. And then, fast forward, I was in London uh, working on the Olympics. And the director of the London production of Rocky Horror had been to Australia prior. Because the UK production was going to Korea with an Australian company. And at that point, I had taken the auditions for Ambassador Theatre Group's production of Legally Blonde. And so I took all the auditions for Legally Blonde. And after that, they said, oh, the director for Rocky Horror UK is coming out for a production and career with an Australian company, could you take the auditions? I said, of course. So that's when I met Chris Luscombe. And and it all just changed. We just, we got on so well. We just became such wonderful friends and there was no interior motive for me. It was just a wonderful friendship. And then when I went over to do the Olympics in 2012, I always thought I would be coming home after the Olympics. Um, and I'd signed with the United Agents in London, which was a really exciting thing. But I was like, London is so big London is so big there are so many people here how is this going to work I thought well you've got to be in it to win it so I remember we got a phone call about a week after the Olympics saying Chris Laskin wants to offer you the 40th anniversary production of the Rocky Horror Show and I I was on we we were living in Hampstead at the time on Willoughby Road and I was out the front and I just remember running up and down the street going oh my god this is amazing this is amazing and it, it just kind of changed my whole career, especially in London. And then my career just kind of went gangbusters, which I was very grateful for. Again, always grateful for. Um, not ex- I, think cause I've, I think the good thing about me growing up in Brisbane is I was so naive. And I didn't have any expectation when I was young. Yeah. And that's a really good thing to have, to not have social media, to not know much to be like a, a little guy from this little town in Brisbane was probably the greatest thing for me, I, and it, yeah. So it made a huge impact on my career, and now I've done eleven productions of the show, and I've just celebrated the fiftieth, and we're celebrating celebrating it in London next week. I literally miss it by two days. So I get to London two days after, um, but we're celebrating the fiftieth in London, and the fiftieth we just had obviously here in Sydney um, with Jason. So. It, it has been incredible, and it has taken me to South Africa. It's like, the, it's 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 just really wonderful. It's very, been a it's been a joy.
0: Very special show. Yeah, really special show. So, uh, growing up, did you always have that creative urge to to choreograph eventually,
1: or was this something? You I know... I just love to dance to music. I remember I would put on my mum's kitten heels when she would go out, and I put on Like Minogue's Motion <laughs> record, and I would just paddle turn in the living room, and <laughs> I just. There was something about the creative side that I loved. I loved the interpretation. I loved that you could actually move your body any way you wanted. And it was yours. And I think growing up, I had a terrible time at school being a dancer, being gay. It was, I I literally lived a double life. And when I could go to dancing and be at dancing and I could just be exactly who I wanted to be, it was kind of my, it was my saviour. So I think I always felt that, Faith and safeness in movement. And I think that's what she, it's just forever grown from there. Conroy's Dance Studio? I went to the Conroy Dance Centre in Brisbane, which I enrolled myself when I was nine. I was in my dad's car, he was on a business site, and that was back in the days with those great big car phones. And the number was 32057717 What's the phone number. And I called. How do you and, still remember that? I think because it was, again, it was such a pivotal moment in my life yeah. that I, I was only born at the dancing school. I lasted two weeks and left because I thought the girls weren't very nice to me. And then they rang me up and they said, no, would you please come back? We've got this performing group. We'd love for you to audition for it. So I did. And the rest, is, the rest is history. And I was there till I was about 17.
0: And that was a good training? It was incredible. Because being the only boy sometimes, you were used just as a uh, a, a prop for the girls to demonstrate. Uh, yeah, but then, demonstrate. It, then it kind of
1: changed. Then I was centre in front of everything. And I was like, well, this is great. Um, but I worked really hard. I worked really, really, really hard. But then more boys obviously started to come and join. And I think by the time I finished dancing in a dancing school, it, it was different then. Lots of boys danced, and it was a, it was just a norm. Yeah. But when I started, it, it it certainly was not the norm. But that's okay. Um, but I had a. It, it taught me a lot. I've taken away a lot from it. I've. There are certain things that I look back now and think. Yes, I would do that. No, I wouldn't do that. That's the choice of being an adult. Yeah. And that's, and, but I am very grateful for my time and I will be forever grateful to everyone who had to put up with me in their class because I was quite chatty <laughs> and quite naughty. Not rude, just naughty. Okay. So I was sent out a lot. <laughs> a lot. So it's surprising I ended up in the industry because so I was sitting outside the room most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yes. Was there much
0: of an opportunity to do community theatre or...? Amateur musicals? No,
1: I cut your teeth there. You know, I've I've never seen an amateur musical,
0: right?
1: And people are shocked by that. Yeah. The studio that I went to was such a strong performing arts studio. They had a they had a paid professional performance team that you had to audition to be in. And I went to America with that. I've been I would earn so much money in the holidays. So I performed for years at major shopping centers, parades. I did it for years so I was actually performing from about the age of 11 in this performance group and I went everywhere and, but honestly I worked every single holiday for so like eight years and made really good money for did you have an agent or no it was all done through the studio I didn't even know what an agent was yeah. I got to Sydney and I still didn't really know what an agent was um, and that was the naivety I think of it all I think my whole journey of coming to Sydney was a thing of fate I auditioned for a, a casino that was going was opening in Cairns for William Forsythe, and I auditioned for that and he pulled me aside at the end of the audition and because I was too young and he said if you ever come to Sydney would you just let me know I choreograph these shows at a theme park called Australia's Wonderland so I did the theme park circuit I finished school I actually didn't finish school I left before the end of grade 12 um, my parents and I just decided it wasn't worth staying there for the for the terror horror that it was um <clears throat> so I went to one of another Three world and I thought well I've made it I yeah. was like this is it yeah. like where do you go from here like I was but again <laughs> I was so thankful for the job and I was so thankful to be dancing and being paid and I moved out of home and then about eight months later I I was in Sydney for something and they had auditions for Wonderland and I went audition for William Forsyth and I got offered Australia's Wonderland And that's how it kind of all started. So I moved to Sydney then thinking, well, now I've definitely made it because I'm in Australia's Wonderland. Um, So that's kind of how it all started.
0: And then it all unfolded from there. You've done the March of the Siamese Children, though, haven't you? I have. King and I. I Did that come through Conroy's?
1: That came through Conroy's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were looking for a Louis, which I went in for and back in those days there were no phones I was doing I was on tour in Mackay in the school holidays and I picked up those blue big telephones just to call home and my dad called to say you've just been off The King and I and that it's was playing Louis playing Louis right. to understudy Louis in the Hayley Mills production of The King and I yeah. Yeah, in 1992 did you get to go on? I did not get to go on oh. ever 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 I rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed but there was already two other Louis anyway yeah. so I would have had to have been, but again I just didn't care no. I was going into a theatre every day watching people and like look at this like you wouldn't be able to do it now you were just left alone and I'd just be backstage sitting there watching all this craziness backstage yeah. going well isn't this the best place on earth and yeah that was at 12 <laughs> <laughs> so what was the first musical you saw first musical I ever saw yeah. my mum no my grandmother took me to the Footbridge Theatre to see Dancing Man, starring David Atkins, um, who has always been a huge idol of mine and someone that I had looked up to a lot, had the pleasure to work with now quite a few times, which is amazing. But that was the moment that I just went, oh my God, that changed my life. Yeah, my, my grandmother took me to see that. Then she took me to see Something in Bankstown starring Wonder Birchmore. I want to say Sugar Babies or Sugar ba- Sugar Babies. I think it was called. And then it started from there. Then it was Cats at the Theatre Royal, and then it was, and then we moved to Brisbane. So, so yeah. So I tried to see everything that my parents would allow me to see.
0: Sugar Babies was the show where Rhonda was uh, approached. Pigeons landed on her.
1: See, I see. I can't that remember that. I was really. Um, it was a burlesque musical. It was, yeah. and my grandmother took me. What a legend she was. Yeah. But yeah, she is the one who really introduced me to theatre, was my grandmother.
0: Right. Yeah. There's many champions and and
1: guides like that in life. They just know.
0: So Hot Chew Shuffle, did you work with David on that? Yes.
1: I did Hot Chew for him in 2002, um, which is still today the hardest musical I've ever done, without a doubt.
0: Because you don't stop.
1: Because you don't stop and there's nothing. There's no hydraulics. There's nothing. It is pure based on skill and that's it. Your feet, a couple of canes, some hats at times, and a big slide at the end. And a tap truck, of course, which you never want to fall off. Um, It was probably the fittest I'd ever been. I made relationships at that time with the brothers that I will never be able to replace. Um, Even though we've all gone our different ways, we're all doing different things. Um, It was an incredible time, but I remember when I was going for my costume fittings, for Hot Shoe and they gave me a pair of pants and they were David Atkins' pants <sighs> for when he did Hot Shoe Shuffle. Wow. So I was like, well, hopefully the pants make me better tapper. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> exactly. Um, Mamma Mia. Yeah.
0: That, that was the original uh, production in Melbourne. At the I fences? joined
1: the original, pro- I wasn't Run. the original Pepper. Uh, it was Sean Rennie was first, then Aaron Mendoza and then me. So I closed the, the, the original production On the last year of it, I played Pepper. Mm. A fun show.
0: And it's nice to see it's coming back again. It is
1: coming back again, um, with some wonderful friends in it. But yes, it was at the time, it was very hard. I'd come from different kind of musicals, and obviously Mamma Mia was such a a mega musical, and it was probably a lot stricter than I was used to. Because I was quite mischievous. That really, that really stopped me in my ways. Um, But obviously doing the ten jump splits, eight times a week at first I was like oh god but then <laughs> by the end of it it was actually quite good but I had a, I had a ball and it brought so much joy to people it's just I've never been in a musical that had brought so much joy yeah. people just love it it is yeah
0: well let's well, say that, that genius of, of Bjorn and Benny and, and, and Abba Correct. I mean here we are almost five decades later and kids are still yeah sort of embracing that music
1: yeah I just saw something launched today in London they they're doing a search for Mamma Mia. Is it for Mamma Mia 3 or is it for the. But Judy Kramer, it's being led by her. Alan Carr is the host. I saw it today when I was on, waiting is it for the plane. A
0: new reality show?
1: Or... I think it's a new reality show, right. but it's for Mamma Mia. Right. Whether they're casting for the new film or if it's for the West End production that's currently on, I'm not sure. I saw something about that today. I was like, wow, it's still going.
0: That's been an ingenious marketing ploy, hasn't it? The reality shows to cast I think a, a, a Maria or I think
1: a, in London, it's absolutely brilliant. Because yeah. then Ben Foster, who won Jesus, ended up doing Rocky with Lovely Ben, and he did it for us in the West End as well. I think the TV shows in the UK especially, they do it so well. Yeah. And the whole country gets behind it, and it's a big thing. Um, yeah, it's amazing. We were in London to see our friend Tamson. Carol she was she played Nancy twice a week for the revival in Jury Lane when Jody Prittinger who won the Nancy competition and we went over because Tamsin always did two shows a week and so we went to see Tamsin play Nancy and that was the night that Michael Jackson was in oh, wow. and Michael Jackson sat behind us in the audience wow. it was just insane crazy <laughs> <laughs> that's why I love theatre <laughs> Close Encounters Close
0: Encounters now with Eurobeat you played Russia. You didn't go to Russia, did you? No,
1: I band? was Russia. There, was, there were four of us. Yes. But yeah, I, th- I did Italy, uh, I did Estonia, I did Russia, and I did France. I was in the most. I was, I was in four. And I also covered Sweden. And I think once Maddie Robinson went off, so I did five countries out of the 12, I was like, come on, people are going to be sick of me coming out. <laughs> but yeah, so they were the four I did every night. Right. Yeah, and Russia did win the most just in case Scott Hendry ever listens to this it's Russia won the most um, yeah so Eurobeat was a joy Julius Amiro the whole company were hilarious just really really talented talented people really talented people uh, motion capture artist on, yes. on Happy Feet mm-hmm.
0: that must have been an interesting experience it's when the you best were job sort of modelling in, for a penguin
1: it's the best job in the world because you yeah. just you don't have to worry about what you look like you can eat catering all day <laughs> and you never have to worry about trying to fit into your costume. It was brilliant. God, we played. We had so much fun. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah, so it was amazing. It was amazing. So uh,
0: you, you know, you see docos on television or whatever, where yeah. they, they put a whole lot of dots yes. on, on somebody. Is yeah. that what they were doing? Exactly yeah. that. And, and your feet, just to
1: yeah, you had you had shoes on that had. I think from what I remember, it was two thousand and six. I think we had things on top of our shoes as well with dots. We had like a like a soft kind of like I suppose safety helmet one of those I suppose what you wear for boxing and then it would had like a, a black wired beak I suppose so you knew where, the, where, the, where your eyeline was and where yeah. that is and you get in every morning you go put your little black leotard on and you go get snapped in so they take your imagery with all your dots then you go away and once everyone's snapped in you get up and you do little bits and I mean little bits yeah. it takes ages yeah. but we were having a ball we were playing handball the next studio we were just having a great old time great job yeah it's great
0: so much fun so choreographing uh, something like Xanadu at the Hayes Theatre and then um, the London Olympics yeah on a grand campus mm. is there a different process to, to you know the, the, the intimate yeah. space of choreography and then yeah on a <laughs> huge stage uh,
1: the, look oh, naturally of course just in terms of scale alone yes but in terms of the process for me not really I kind of treat everything I do that it, like it's the biggest thing on the planet whether it is in the smallest venue in the country or whether it's on the largest on a global scale I personally love working with v- volunteer performance. of course working with professionals is incredible because they're professional and they can do things really quickly And but there's something about working with people that just give up their time to be part of something that really is my real love I think that's why I've done so many ceremonies because I just get drawn in by the people and
0: their enthusiasm and uh, it's
1: just their lives change and I know their lives are going to change and you bring people together that would never normally be together in one place Mm -hmm. and people learn kindness and uh, and how to get on with others that would probably normally cross their paths in life and they have to otherwise it won't come together and they become this unit of people and there's nothing like it on in terms of that kind of performance you said them on their first like London we auditioned I think over thirty two thousand people we auditioned for three months at three Mills and Danny Boyle wanted callbacks so I think we did about sixteen thousand but he wanted everyone to come back wow. these are volunteers wow callbacks yeah but I just love that I was like. That's amazing. No one's ever really done it like that before, but he was so passionate about what he wanted to create. And London was like nothing I've ever been a part of. It was, it was, it was next level in terms of scale. So, yes, going back to the haze, thinking, how do you do do I love the challenge of things. If someone thinks that's impossible, normally I'm like, oh, I'm interested. <laughs> Oh, that's I normally take things if I'm utterly terrified. If I think, oh, I feel like I'm going to be sick, oh, I should take it. That's how I, na- that's how I really make decisions. Could you do Zanadu with the haze? Absolutely not. I'll do it. Yeah. I don't know why. It's this, re- it's this weird thing the, that I just... Decision to make it work. But I love the challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, I'm like, well, it has got to be a version. There's got to be our way. Because yeah. um, I did it in London first. I did do there, just as the choreographer in London. And at the Suffolk Playhouse, and it just went through the roof. Like, none of us could actually get over the reaction that the show brought in London. So when they asked me to come out to direct it and choreograph it, I was nervous because I was like, I, I can't replicate London. I didn't direct London. But obviously, I can bring a lot of my choreography with me. But there was something about you sitting in a British audience, and an incredible British actress Carly Anderson comes out and says, oh, "I'll get." in her, that Australian twang people just fall on the floor yeah. because that's kind of the target audience when you come back to Australia and you come out and you have that same accent but everyone else has the same accent yeah. it doesn't really get that kind of reaction <laughs> because it's I I don't know I just felt it didn't it did it did really well here and I had the best time on it with Ainsley and Jamie and Jade Westford the whole company were just in, incredible and we had a really good time but yeah it, it it didn't have that reaction that London did. Purely just, even just down to the accent, because some people don't find that accent <laughs> amusing.
0: <laughs> we were involved <laughs> as a performer with the Sydney Olympics.
1: No, I wasn't. No, not I wasn't. In it. I, I wished I was. No, it was that was the time that I literally just got cast in Shout. Right. It was in the September of two thousand, just after the Olympics, mm. and I think prior to that. Oh, I don't even know what I was doing. But no, I wasn't involved <coughs> in Sydney and I still think Sydney is one of the best Olympics yeah, they did. It was yeah. so good. Magic. It was magic. Magic. Mm.
0: Mm. Uh, but the yeah. other big difference, I suppose, to choreographing for eight to, uh, shows a week and, and the big large-scale ceremonies mm. is it's it a once. lot of work. You do it
1: once. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. The first time, I couldn't understand it. I was like, why, 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 why would you spend a year on this and do it once? Like, I can't, it's, I have given my soul. But now I'm so used to it. So it just means you just got to make it that extra more special because you just get to do it once. And that's, and I think that's the problem when you do these ceremonies all over the world, kind of the circus comes to town, brings all these people in, they get so excited and then the circus leaves. But then you've got all these people there that now they've, like what have I done? I've done London and Birmingham in the last 10 years. London got it right. The energy for London Olympics took over the whole country and it was electrifying and Birmingham did the same to the Commonwealth Games. Um, but there are so many people that when I did the Birmingham auditions last year in January, we did about a month of auditions looking for about four or five thousand people. I reckon over a over hundred people that did London heard that I was doing Birmingham and they traveled up from London to be a part of Birmingham, oh, great. to be a part of that. And they would you know, I'd get them on the market and like, tell us about you. And they were like, oh, it changed my life. I'm now in this club and I do this. And that's what I love about it. It yeah. lets people wake up and go, actually I could be doing so much more. And it's, yeah, it's really wonderful.
0: Wow. Does it always go all right on the nope. night? Absolutely no? not.
1: Of course not. <laughs> no, God, no. Um, like in Vancouver in 2010 the fourth leg of the cauldron leg didn't come up in the opening ceremony and I've you just know when you just actually you just can't actually hear anyone breathe because everyone is holding their breath and obviously we'd rehearsed it and rehearsed it and rehearsed it and I I was I think on a side vom with a cast group Um, and there were four traps that tracked all the way back like Long Travelators and these four beautiful sticks came up and they twisted and they locked in and then obviously the cauldron lit but only three of them came up and it was <laughs> like you just can't imagine so what I thought David did was so brilliantly then you obviously have a two, 12 day turnaround for closing and because there was no events inside the arena which was amazing which you could actually rehearse in the space which you don't normally get to do mm. closing you come in on the day and that's it so he had this genius idea and he reached out to me and said look can you meet me at midnight in the stadium because I'm doing this really private rehearsal so he came up with the idea of the closing should open with only the three legs and then they were bringing in this really famous French mime artist and they asked me to stand in for the mime artist because I was obviously short and I could jump up through the gap so I rehearsed it for the ten days and he didn't tell anyone so when the closing started and only three came up and this little guy pops up. I should have asked him. I think I should have been given the job. I was quite good. He, <laughs> Put her white he kind of pulls the thing back and he makes it, and, he, and that's how the whole show started. Which I thought was so theatrical. I yeah. thought it's, it was such a David theatre way of well, acknowledging, acknowledging dis- we're wrong. Why would yeah. you not acknowledge it? Yeah. like a billion people watched it. Yeah. they're going to know. So I thought it was just genius what yeah. he did. Yeah. Genius. Absolutely. Yeah. So things go wrong all the time. <laughs> all the time. So do you trouble with the vacuum cleaner? <laughs> with the vacuum cleaner? How do you know about the vacuum cleaner? Oh, my, I do good research. Because I love, to my vacuuming is where I get my best ideas. Exactly. I love to vacuum. I, I've asked for it on certain jobs. <laughs> really? I, well, I, I, just, I read it and uh, I thought that's, that's, that's fantastic. You I must, just, you must uh, work in the cleanest theatres and or, have a spotless home. I do. And trust me, it drives people mental. Um, there's something about, I love instant result. <laughs> I love seeing something there and the next thing it's gone. Quite sad, I know. But vacuuming for me is therapeutic. And Chacha always said to me, if you don't have any ideas, if you're really stuck, stop and do something else. So I would vacuum. And lo and behold, I've had some brilliant ideas from vacuuming and sometimes some not so great ideas. But that's the pros and the cons, I suppose. But yes, vacuuming is one of my absolute favourite pastimes. <laughs> I have a vacuum today. I can say, my name is Nathan and I have a vacuum today. But no doubt I will tomorrow.
0: You ever thought of um, choreographing a, a vacuum ballet or something? You know, Strowman I'd love to always has do like has a vacuum a
1: ad. Sh- like with like hundreds of... Like I can do it with a thousand people and we can do some amazing things with the vacuum cleaners. I want to break free. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's a weird... I might have to speak to my agent. Yeah, work on that. <laughs> work on that. <laughs>
0: Um, Well, Nathan, you're you're helping um, graduates from uh, musical theatre courses Mm. uh, around the country uh, step into the industry through a a program that you devised Mm. called Theatre Bridge.
1: Yeah. Do you want to tell me about that? How's that that going to work? The whole idea came from COVID. Um, My friend Leah Howard dragged me by my heels into teach full time. I just didn't think I wanted to do it, but I kind of got in there and I kind of fell in love with these graduates. And I said to them all in the room, there's probably about 40, I said, who here wants to do musical theater? And two people put their hand up. And I went, great, well, this is gonna go well. But what happened over the next few weeks is more and more people started coming and it just became all 40 of them. And people were kind of coming out of the, you know, people were graduating and there's a lot of full-time programs available to people. There's a huge amount of choice now these days um but a lot of people would kind of reach out to me or to Andrew and just say I just feel like I'm I'm missing a few elements I feel like I need to you know close the gap on on certain things I'm not getting into the room if I'm getting into the room I'm not getting past very far and Andrew and I were talking one day and Andrew said to me it's like we need to like we need to we need to bridge we need to bridge this we need to bridge this for them. And we were having lunch with Rochelle and Torben Brookman in Adelaide about 18 months ago. And we started to share the idea and they were incredibly keen for it as producers. They want to help bridge this gap. They want to meet more talent. They, and the, the word, we said, it's like the bridge. And then someone went, oh, I mean theatre bridge. But we have the bridge is in the capitals, but the ATRE is small. So it is the bridge. It's a bridging program, but it's based on theatre. Yeah. And that's where it all came from. And we wanted to, we're just also very passionate about helping, inspiring, guiding um, people that need that extra guidance, that extra push. I wanted to get people in a room that I didn't feel had been utilised like they should be. And I wanted to bring in through, I wanted to be generational. So the very first person I called, the very first was Gail Edwards. I love Gail. I rang her and she said, oh my God, put my name across everything. I want to do it. And that's how it all started. Once Gail said, yes, it was very easy. To get people because i wanted gail's elk i wanted her i wanted her energy i wanted her passion i wanted that in the room with people because i don't think people are getting that i want the people to move john o'connor with max but with darren yap cameron mitchell leanne churney it's tracy morley lisa kellingham all these phenomenal 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 people but are all hugely connected through us all but and you know, we've got people teaching in the program that have been in the industry for 10 years but then you've got someone like Gail who's been in the industry for 50 years it's about having this generational link um, and we wanted to tailor the program the first one is for four weeks and the goal is to do more and for it to grow and it will bridge into bigger things it's all about how can we bridge as much as possible and this one is about bridging them with the right people and the whole program works in reverse so they come in for four weeks and on the very last day of the entire program is the audition. So they have four weeks of these people and then the very last thing they do is audition. And we wanted to do it that way. It wasn't about coming in on the first day and going, well, we're going to do an audition today. But no, no, we want to do it completely in reverse. Yeah. And then we want to invite all those people to come and watch the producers to say, these are the people that we feel need to be bridged in the industry. And here they are a hell of a faculty it is a hell of a faculty it's yes it is a hell of a faculty but but there's a generation that doesn't know who Gail Edwards is who don't know who john o'connell is max lambert they but they need to
0: absolutely
1: um and obviously we wanted more but if we had more we would have actually had because no one actually does just two hours the minimum anyone does is four hours because it's not about high turnover it's about sustainability it's about quality yeah. Gail's and I think Gail's doing about 10 hours she's like I need to do this oh no and actually no I want to do this as well oh, do you want to do that like the passion from the people that are coming in to teach like is extraordinary like John O'Connor when we said right well, in a big screen we're going to do dance history and I was like can I come to that class but I just love their passion behind it and that's what and it's hard it's a hard sell like it's you're asking people to give up time to give over money but it, I don't believe there's anything like this and this is not about oh let's make some money let's, let's do this to go how can we bridge the industry in a way for people that are coming out of all these different programs but aren't but might have something that maybe just didn't get seen but they just need to be in a room and someone needs to say one thing mm. and something changes for them and I, I want to give and I sit on auditions all the time yeah and I see people come in, and I'm like, really? So I want to be able to help that.
0: Well, they're entering an industry where the whole career is about regular job applications, the audition. Yeah. So it's about knowing how to do them yeah. properly or most effectively. Yeah. And to understand that sometimes if you don't get the job, it's not because you're not talented. No, that's it, a thing. It's such a psychological game as
1: well, isn't it? Well, that's why we brought a uh, dear friend of mine who I used to do Olympics with damn Jane Miskovich, who is a clinical psychologist and she specialises in performing arts so she's the very first person that everyone has right. and she talks about that straight away is the mindset we kind of want to reset people so they can go let's reboot listen to Jane listen to every word that comes out of her mouth and for the next four weeks just trust where you are trust the people here are going to care for you, look after you, they're going to push you, but we want you to leave these four weeks and be like, oh my God, I can't believe that just came out of four weeks. Yeah. Is the goal. Who knows?
0: So how can uh, anyone listening that, that, mm. that, that might be interested, how, how do they find out about Theatre Bridge or, or indeed in well, a role? Of course,
1: I've now become such an influence on the gram because I'm so bad on social media. Um, you can just go to the website, www.theatrebridge.com.au and you can apply um, or on our Instagram which is just TheatreBridge, that's all we're kind of targeting in terms of that we've had a good response we, we have had a good response um, but we just we don't want anyone to miss out on the opportunity there is still time and yeah well when are the dates that's important too. we kick off July right. 14th Friday the 14th and the program runs Friday and Monday so we're trying to give up the week so they're free. So you do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah. It's four hours a day. There will be extras offered as part of the program to everyone. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of the plan. And because I've got to go to London, do another show, come back, and then it starts. So it's trying to get everything sorted out before I go. Yeah, you have a full
0: calendar. We, uh, we to, to, we're, we're recording this at a, an, a brief opening that you have.
1: I know, it's crazy, but I'm so, but I'm so excited. I'm it's so excited.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks, Nathan. It's, uh, it's been lovely to chat to you. It's been an absolute you. pleasure. Yeah. Theatre Bridge is a four-week program based at GWE Studios in Sydney. This is an audition-only program designed to bridge from the student mindset to that of a professional working artist. Theatre Bridge commences Friday, 14th of July and runs for four weeks. Classes run from Friday through to Monday. Register your interest now at theatrebridge.com.au. Thank you, Nathan, for joining us in this episode. Don't dream it, be it. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time. On Stages. That was dreadful, wasn't it? And I'll catch you next time on Stages.